Welcome to Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth, where we explore how studies here are changing our world today and in the future. I'm Robin Montague, a writer at the University of Portsmouth. This time, we explore the world of so-called incels online and how the likes of TikTok are being used to promote these less than savoury ideologies in the mainstream. Where society seems to be progressive on the surface, this resentment has continued to simmer away. And where you then have technology and the internet and all the affordances that come with being online, like the, the reach and the engagement and being able to interact with people who ordinarily couldn't, and you get the audience and you get to disseminate your ideas in new and what seems like novel ways, um, that is the perfect storm. Lisa Segura is an associate professor in cybercrime and gender in the School of Criminology and Justice. And along with PhD researcher and teaching fellow, Anda Salea, they take us through how misogynistic content makes it onto social media, how it gets around the restrictions put in place by the tech companies, and the reasons we should all be concerned. And if you're affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, we've included some links to services offering support in the show notes. Lisa has been working in the field of cybercrime for 13 years, and it was real-world events that drew her into understanding incels and online abuse. There was the instant Gamergate where you had female journalists in the gaming industry that were being abused and they were receiving rape and death threats. You had the iCloud hack of various celebrities and the intimate images were released, obviously without the consent and the trauma that followed that. And then you also had the Isla Vista attack, which was one of the first mass killings associated with the incel community. So I started developing that interest, looking more at sort of misogynistic activity online and hate speech and inequalities and how certain persons from marginalized communities are more targeted online and started working then on a particular project looking at the language of cybersexism in 2017. And it was from there that I really sort of started delving more into sort of online misogyny and in particular misogynistic incel. There's a level of lived experience for Ander. I come from quite a neglectful and violent background, so having access to internet and to people to interact with and sort of exchange experiences, similar experiences, has been very useful for my development and I found belonging and community there. But then as the years progressed, I realized that this is not the experience that everybody else has. So a lot of uh, groups, particularly minorities, whether they are gender minorities or the LGBTQ+, or different ethnicities, they experience a lot of hate and abuse online. And when you know you would have young people trying to find community online and sort of escape their uh, home environment, they want to go online. But then rather than having my experience, they experience a lot of additional harms and abuse. So that would be something that made me interested in this, particularly looking at what type of abuse we have online and what can we done to sort of stop and limit this to enable other young people to use social media in a positive way. The term incel at its basic level means involuntary celibate. But let's take a moment to define it a little more clearly. 
The incels are an online subculture of men that describe themselves as unable to have sexual or romantic relationships. And so they have a very deterministic outlook in life. They believe that your looks and particularly your attractiveness determines whether you are going to find a partner or not. And incels are define themselves as very unattractive and very much at the bottom of this hierarchy. And they blame women for their lack of sexual and romantic interactions. Incels also engage in day-to-day uh, cyber violence. For example, they go online and harass women, they engage in a lot of trolling, and they've been associated with other things such as hate speech directed towards women, sexual and physical threats, doxing, and they also intersect quite a lot with racism and anti-Semitism. So they don't just target women, but also other minorities. This is not to say that the incel mindset is something that has come about with the internet. These attitudes have been around a lot longer. I think it's problematic to treat them as something spectacular or unique because that distracts from wider societal misogyny and the everyday experiences that women have often at the hands of men and we're talking about male violence we're talking about misogyny we're talking about discrimination sexism and of course that predates the incel community it predates the technology but what happens is it's being reinforced and exacerbated by digital technologies and if we look at incels in particular that kind of ideology where men present themselves as the victims that they need to kind of fight back for the very survival again that is not anything particularly novel or contemporary if we look back to the sort of 1970s with the men's rights movement that sort of developed alongside second wave feminism and in fact were actually allies of second wave feminism completely recognized the harmful effects of patriarchal systems to everybody irrespective of gender but what happened there was a splintering where some men that were dissatisfied within the original men's rights movement came away and became very much about anti-feminism and taken away from women's gains and women's rights and those sorts of attitudes have never gone away they've continued to exist and what's happened is where we see or where society seems to be progressive on the surface is that underground this resentment has continued to simmer away and where you then have technology and the internet and all the affordances that come with being online like the reach and the engagement and being able to interact with people who ordinarily couldn't and you get the audience and you get to disseminate your ideas in new and what seems like novel ways that is the perfect storm And that's the problem that modern technology brings to a decades-old issue. In a world of algorithms and technologies that try to keep us on the platform for as long as possible, if you like that, then you might like this approach is a potentially dangerous one. We see on TikTok that you might have a person that goes on there and tries to look at advice on dating, which might not necessarily be misogynistic, but then slowly and surely you get to see pickup artists who are a lot more misogynistic in their style, and then you could get videos related to the incel ideology, which is on TikTok particularly they focus a lot on looks and also on the social hierarchy and demonstrating that women are not attracted to like short men or particular types of men that don't have a well-defined jaw, and also within. TikTok, you have these built-in connections. So for example, content creators can create content together. So it's called like stitching. So you take the content of a person and then you redo it in your own way. Then you also have hashtags that are used and are disseminated to many people. For example, in some of my TikTok uh, sample, I have a content creators that put the hashtag for you page, hashtag men, hashtag women. So very, you will say that unconspicuous, right? They're not related to the incel ideologies, but they are put there to draw wider audiences to the particular video and to gain views and an audience. If you're not a regular social media user, 
the concept of hashtags might not be that familiar to you. Put simply, it's a keyword that identifies what the content is about, or who it's for, and aids the search and recommendation process. And when it comes to online misogyny, it's not as simple as just banning particular words. Take in the case of TikTok, if you look for the term incel, this term is banned, and TikTok does tell you that this is associated with a hateful community. However, if you know a little bit more about the incel community, you don't need to know much. Just know that they subscribe to the black pill ideology. You could search for the term black pill, and you can spell it differently, so it doesn't need to be spelled correctly. And then you get a lot of hashtags that are related to the black pill, but I'll spell that they escape content moderation to this. So I searched for this hashtag and I found a lot of accounts and a lot of videos posted under this. So you could say that the platform has tried to ban incels because you can't search for incel, but you can search for the black pill ideology. And it's highly likely that the term black pill is a new one to you. It's a somewhat fatalistic incel view that their situation is permanent and unchangeable. The problem with the incel community online is that it's a canary in the mine, highlighting the wider problems we have in today's society. This is a whole societal problem. This isn't just contained to online. What we're seeing is that those ideologies, which may seem more extreme, more over online, but they're being reinforced and validated offline and often by people with a platform in the mainstream media as well. You know, the former president of the United States who infamously said something about cats, which I'm not going to repeat here. There was no punishment for that. He was still able to take his presidency even after that came out. So what does that do? That just validates the fact that women are able to be objectified and spoken about in this way. So that's the problem we're up against is that the approach cannot just be about technology. It has to involve education, it has to involve policy, it has to involve a cultural shift as well, which of course isn't something that can just happen overnight. But hold on, is there a risk that policing what Donald Trump described as locker talk could be seen as restricting free speech in person and online? Whilst I am certainly not in favour of a completely controlled internet or anything like that, and certainly just handing over all our civil rights to governments, we really have to unpack what we mean by freedom of speech here as well. Freedom of speech does not mean the freedom to abuse. It is not a licence to say absolutely anything you like without thinking about the harm it's going to have on people. And also thinking about if we just allow anybody to say anything they like, well, whose privileges are being prioritised as well? because what you find is that the people who are already most marginalised in our communities, they continue to be silenced. And that's what's happening online. Technology is reproducing those inequalities. So it's about recognising the fact that, yes, we have certain protections and they should be our civil rights, but it also isn't a just complete freedom to do whatever you like and certainly not to abuse. If you're enjoying Life Solved, the research podcast from the University of Portsmouth, then you might like one of our other episodes. Now in our 13th series, there's a wealth of stories to be explored and information to be understood over more than 100 episodes. Back in 2022, we explored the world of cybercrime and cybersecurity with Dr. Vasilius Karajingopoulos. We've realised that things were getting a lot more complicated really quick. Law couldn't keep up. We needed new laws, we needed updated laws in order to deal with existing problems and the upcoming problems that technology would create. Definitely a new landscape that has come up in the last 30 years. 
That episode, alongside all the others, is available to stream for free wherever you listen to your podcasts. To give the likes of TikTok credit, as we've already heard, reducing the risk of harm online through banned keywords, content moderation and the reporting process has likely made a difference, but clearly not enough when it comes to in-cell activity. Ander and Lisa's study shows that content can make its way through undetected. Within our paper, we analyzed these uh, TikTok accounts and videos, and we realized that because of the platform moderation, they cannot be so explicit, but they can express their content through more covert language. So, for example, we found that on TikTok, incels use pseudoscientific evidence to further their claims. So they would, for example, present a graph that it's about the height of men and the graph has like a normal distribution and the narrator is very confident and he says that this is a real study and that, for example, if you are 5'10", 15% of women will reject you. So it's all about men and their heights. And then he argues that if you're 5'4", then 90% of women will reject you and you will have no chance to ever find a partner, right? So he's very confident in what he's saying and he's using this graph, which It doesn't have any source, so you don't know what research has been done, where does it come from, is it even real, is it just a graph purely drawn in Excel and it has like no scientific background. But then a lot of people within the comment section, they agree with this graph, they are like, see, he provides evidence and it just shows that women are, you know, just thinking about looks, they don't care about personalities, they are just very shallow and it just perpetuates the gender beliefs that women just care about looks. And in a number of cases, pseudoscience is combined with the manipulation of the viewer's emotions. So you'd have a clip from the 90 Days Fiancé, for example, or famous memes, and these are used online to sort of provide evidence against women. So there was one particular video we were talking about where there is a video at a university campus, and there's this young man who kisses a young woman without uh, consent. And because the woman seems to enjoy the kiss, then they are saying that they, she only enjoyed this kiss, which was unconsensual because the guy was very attractive. And then they skipped to a video showing FBI entering a house, showing that if you, and it, it calls the viewer like you, as an incel, like as an ugly man, would try to do the same thing, then you would be put into prison. So it just shows basically that consent, it's not about the act, the act itself should not be criminalized or it's not harmful, but it's about the opinion of the woman as regarding the, the attractiveness of the guy. So in this sense, attractive men are free to do whatever they want to women because women like them. But then if you as an unattractive man are trying to do the same thing, then it's not only that the woman is going to go to the police and make a complaint about you, but then the criminal justice system, it's also complicit with this. So they are going to punish you and put you in prison for the sole fact of being unattractive. And they go as far as saying that even if you look at the woman, they are going to make a complaint about you because you're so unattractive. So it really evokes this emotionality in these people, right? Being that this is the reality and the life that they have to live with. And it just brings this conclusion that, yeah, well, women are like that. Look, this video shows it. I felt rejected many times, so maybe I should, you know, start believing this idea. And just in case you thought TikTok was the only problem, it would appear that there might be even bigger issues elsewhere on the internet. I look at cross-platforms, so I look at TikTok and also YouTube Shorts. So kind of similar to TikTok, I look at these YouTube Shorts because they are like short videos, they are easy to disseminate and they attract large audiences. And you have also this cross-platform posting. So in my sample, I have a lot of videos from TikTok that are posted on YouTube and the other way around. And then from my preliminary findings, we have five accounts, 400 videos of these accounts, as well as pretty large comment sections. We see that 
the content moderation is actually even worse on YouTube. So for example, on YouTube, you can search for the term incel, like it's not banned. And you can see that the content creators on YouTube are a lot more prolific. So some of the accounts that I have in my sample, they have been on YouTube posting incel content for the last three to four years. And they have hundreds and hundreds of videos and they have not been taken down. And just to provide a comparison, the accounts I have on TikTok, they are around one year and a half old and they usually don't have that many videos so oftentimes you would see that new accounts are created they have five videos and then they get taken down on tiktok while some are more long-standing but on youtube it's been going for years and anders research suggests that youtube is being used differently to tiktok it seems that the followers of these particular accounts are a lot more engaged with the accounts creators than the ones on TikTok. So they follow the content on these YouTube channels, they engage with them, they ask for more content, and they discuss very theoretical incel debates. They use specific terms to describe women, and this goes again in that implicitly or covert language. For example, some on YouTube, some commenters refer to women as a 304. And this is a derogatory term to refer to promiscuous women as well as sex workers. So they just say this 304 does this and that. And obviously, if you look at content moderation, if you have like AI looking at it, they are not going to recognize this number as being something derogatory towards women. But this is what's being used to sort of escape this moderation on YouTube. It's nearly impossible to discuss incels and online misogyny without the name Andrew Tate coming up. He's a former kickboxer, now better known as an online influencer, promoting an ultra-masculine, ultra-luxurious lifestyle. Many of his followers come to him to supposedly discover the secrets of becoming an alpha male in Tate's image. Unsurprisingly, his online activity has particularly played to the incel community. What he's done in creating his communities and he's had Hustlers University and now Real World, which he's trying to present it in that sort of valid light. He has capitalised on this perfect storm of three things. One is the fact that, yes, young men in particular do have real anxieties and vulnerabilities. Today, it's really hard. You know, the socioeconomic pressures, there's lots of issues, but that doesn't mean that it's okay to blame women and to completely take the victim label and forget about sort of things like privilege and things. And also just to sort of espouse hatred. And then that's the second thing, the fact that misogyny continues to be so prolific in our societies that it is selling for some reason. So you've got vulnerabilities, you've got misogyny, and then last you've got the misinformation and you've got the ability to capitalise on this rhetoric online where it's presented in this way that seems valid. So what he's done is he's taken all of that and created this brand. And that's often his sort of excuse as well. I'm just a character. I can't be held responsible if there is any sort of hatred, which he often denies anyway. Where he says that he's not a misogynist but this is what he's done it is all about exploitation of predominantly men but obviously at women's expense so these issues are also like self-reinforcing so you can think as say like a vulnerable young man that looks online for advice he finds the advice of you know pickup artists or manosphere people such as Andrew Tate they sort of try their advice whether it's getting to be more confident or working out and having muscles or, you know, doing some shady business to have money, but they still don't get to be successful with women. So then they start being frustrated and angry that these measures have not worked. But rather than being Andrew Tate and people like him are the problem from reinforcing these masculine tropes, they are angry at women for not falling for these tactics. In the UK, new legislation is in place to try and address some of these problems. The Online Safety Act came into law in October 2023. Lisa was part of the conversation. 
I was part of a consortium that was campaigning to get violence against women and girls explicitly mentioned in that legislation because it was completely overlooked. Actually recognising that many online harms are gendered. It is the fact that women and persons from marginalised communities are targeted by virtue of being just who they are, their identities. And so for the four years that that legislation was going in and out of parliament and committees and things it was just saying we just absolutely need this written so the platforms will have an accountability a responsibility to women girls and marginalized persons women and girls are now in there i think it's about four times they're mentioned in there we wanted a violence against women and girls code of conduct it's not quite there but the fact that the law has specifically mentioned women and girls it's obviously a step in the right direction but this is an all society problems needs an all societal response we can't just legislate out misogyny we can't engineer out misogyny with the tech either we can educate but we can't just educate if obviously it's being allowed elsewhere so it's from all areas and as i said we're talking about a cultural shift so this could take a generation misogyny and the mistreatment and abuse of women and girls is far from a new concern While still problematic, the issue was mainly hidden from public view for many years. But the internet and social media platforms have played a part in creating a 21st century incel community. A community that becomes more and more visible. If you're a parent listening to this, doubtless we've raised some online safety concerns for you. So what should you be saying to your children? It's about having open conversations in a non-judgmental way. The inclination might be to try and shut it down and say, this is discriminatory, it's abusive or whatever, but that's probably not the best way to engage. It's about hearing why people are watching it, what they think about it, and then unpacking some of that pseudoscientific nature that's involved in it. You know, ask for, well, what's the evidence for that? Where's the fact? It's about developing critical thinking, being able to kind of question, you know, mis- and disinformation online, and also about values, about your world values. Do you really think women are evil? Do you really think women and persons who do not fit the hegemonic ideal norm, you know, white, able-bodied, cis and all of that, do you think that they've got right to be better and more privileged than other people? So it's like I say, having those healthy, proactive discussions as well, I think. Thanks for listening to this episode of Life Solved. Just a reminder, if you've been affected by anything we've discussed on this episode, there are details of where to find support in the show notes. You're very welcome to be part of the discussion. Email us at lifesolved at port.ac.uk. That's lifesolved, one word, at port.ac.uk. Tell us what you think and make suggestions for future episodes of Life Solved. And we'd love it if you clicked follow on your podcast app so you never miss an edition. We'd really appreciate it if you left a rating or a review as well. It helps us get these conversations into more ears around the globe. If you've been inspired by this episode and want to support our work, including the research you've heard about in the School of Criminology and Justice, then head to port.ac.uk forward slash life solve to find out how. You can also find out how to work or study with us. Next time, we move from criminology to international law by asking, is the world becoming less democratic? The legislation gave the power to the government to define what a serious disruption was to the public. And so some of what I've just mentioned was introduced by the government. And that's one of the 
big concerns about this particular legislation. Bye for now.